today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. Give us ears to hear your truth and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw. God able to take the worst of situations in your life and bring it around to good? Why did I put so much time on those first 11 chapters, particularly that first chapter, creation? Because I wanted you to see, I wanted you to understand the greatness and the majesty of Almighty God. Because once we understand and once we can glean from that and hold on to that, then we can understand that when our life is totally, literally, as Joseph's was, in the pits, and then I'm sold into slavery, and then I'm in prison, that God can take the worst of worst things and turn it around for good. Today, you'll discover even more people, stories, and lessons from the book of Genesis. You'll meet Jacob and Esau, Jacob's wives and his children. You'll follow Joseph through his immense trials and unwavering faith and witness the glory of God being displayed through acts of evil. Can God do the same for you? Today, Pastor David will share that this is exactly the case. Because God is real and is working for the good of his children, he'll always be on your side, no matter how hard it gets. Now here's Pastor David in Genesis chapter 22 with his continuing study through the book of Genesis. Abraham spoke in faith as he declared, My son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. So the two of them went together. Abraham knew what God had told him the night before. So he's speaking in faith here. And as you know the story, as Abraham draws back his knife to sacrifice Isaac there on the altar, the Lord says, Stop. Don't go any further. Don't lay your hand down in verse 12. Don't lay your hand on the lad. Do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Do you think that God at times might put you to the test? To a test that makes absolutely no logical sense to you at all. Are we willing to go to that extent? That the Lord tells us to take this step. It doesn't make any sense, but there's a real clarity that this is God that is speaking and moving me this direction. Beloved, that's when God shows himself strong. That's when God shows himself mighty. That's when we begin walking in the miraculous. And God showed Abraham a ram that was over in the bushes, and that became the sacrifice. And Abraham and Isaac came down the mountain together and joined the servants down at the bottom of the hill. Verse 20, or chapter 22, the death of Sarah at 127 She's buried in Hebron, there in the land of Canaan. Abraham actually buys a plot of land to be able to bury her there. And that becomes an important factor later on as we get into Genesis. Genesis 24, there we have Eleazar is a representative of Abraham. Abraham wants to get a wife for his son, Isaac. And so he 
sends Eleazar as his representative to go back and get a bride for his son, his only son. And he sends Eleazar back with gifts from the father to give to that one who is the bride. When we look at chapter 24 of Genesis, we see a perfect picture of what God has in store for you and I when we picture that Eleazar is a type of the Holy Spirit, that again, the Holy Spirit working to prepare and to gain a bride for the Son of God Almighty. And as Eleazar goes down there and he finds Rebekah and gives to her all of these gifts, and Rebecca is more than pleased to be able to go and to be the bride of the son, the only son of Abraham. And beloved, that's the story, that's the picture, that right there is the clarity of what God has done in all of redemption for us. And as it said there, as Rebecca came back, the word tells us there in chapter 24 that again, Isaac saw her and he took Rebecca as his wife. There at the very end, that chapter in verse 67, Isaac brought her into his mother Sarah's tent and he took Rebekah and she became his wife and he loved her. And so Isaac was comforted with his mother's death. Chapter 25, the death of Abraham, the birth of Jacob and Esau, these two twins wrestling within the womb of Rebekah. Esau, as he grows older, we find it's there in chapter 25 that he sells his birthright for a bowl of soup because it doesn't mean anything to him at that point and time. You know, sometimes the promises of God come to us early on and it might not be fulfilled this year or next year or next year. Don't despise, don't forget the promises of God. Hold on to those things. To Esau, that promise of God, his birthright, got to mean nothing to him because after all, his dad was still healthy and and living strong. That birthright wasn't going to happen for years and years. And so Esau really despised his birthright at that point. That's why it was so easy for him to sell it to his brother for that bowl of soup. When we get to chapter 26, Isaac follows in the same weakness as Abraham. Uh, he tells them that, uh, again, that Rebekah is his, his sister. And again, Abimelech, the king of the Philistines, looks out through the window down in verse 8. And he saw, and there was Isaac. And I love how the New King James says, showing endearment to Rebekah, his wife. Okay, she's supposed to be your sister. You don't treat your sister the way you're treating her. That's not your sister, is it? And so uh, then Abimelech called Isaac and said, quite obviously, she is your wife. So how could you say she's my sister? Well, he's following in his father's footsteps. And uh, so from that, then there's a big battle over wells with the Philistines until finally the Lord blessed them over in verse 23. The Lord, he went up from there to Beersheba. The Lord appeared to him the same night and said, I am the God of your father, Abraham. Do not fear for I am with you. I will bless you, multiply your descendants for my servant Abraham's sake. And he built an altar there and called on the name of the Lord. He pitched his tent there and there Isaac's servants dug a well. In chapter 27, we find again, more deceit that's going on. At this point in time, Isaac says it comes to a time when Isaac was old and his eyes were dim and he couldn't see. 
He was going to pass the blessing on to his son. Rebekah becomes deceitful. Jacob gets caught into the deceit. Esau, unfortunately, is the one that takes the full hit of that deceit as Jacob then literally steals the blessing from Isaac, brings deceit into the family. There's a blessing that Isaac gives to Jacob. Then there's the hate and the division between the brothers, all of that going on in chapter 27. Then in chapter 28, Jacob has a Bethel experience. He's running away. He knows that his brother will kill him. Rebekah has already told him, listen, I heard your brother Esau, he's planning to kill you. Get out, run away. So Jacob goes, he gets to a place that is now called Bethel, but he comes to that place in down in verse 10. He went out from Beersheba, went to Haran. And so he came to a certain place, stayed there all night because the sun had set. He took one of the stones of that place, put it as his head, and he laid down in that place to sleep. Then he dreamed and behold, a ladder was set up in the earth and its top reached to the heaven. And there the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and your descendants. Also, your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth. You shall spread abroad to the west and to the east, to the north and the south. In you, the seed of all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Behold, I am with you. I will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. Do you realize the deceitfulness of Jacob and yet God is still blessing him? Why? Because it's God's covenant work. It's not Jacob's worthiness. And God is still working his plan out. And Jacob says, man, this is an awesome place. We're going to call this Bethel, the house of God. And that Bethel will come back again and again through the Genesis journey. Now we move on to chapter 29, and we're going to blow through some of these real quick. Chapter 29, the deceiver gets deceived. Jacob goes down to get a bride from the family of his uncle Laban. He falls in love with Rachel. And you remember, he works seven years before he can get Rachel as his bride. And then on the wedding night, Laban switches girls on him. And he ends up with Leah, her sister, not nearly as beautiful, not the one that he fell in love with, but she was the oldest sister. And Laban said, sorry, that's just the way it is around here. The oldest sister has to get married first. If you want to also marry Rachel, you need to work for me seven more years. So he did give him Rachel, but he continued to work for seven more years there under Laban. And in the midst of all of this, all the 12 sons of Jacob are born, both from Leah and her handmaiden, as well as finally Rachel, the Lord opens up her womb. She has boys, also her handmaiden has boys. And we see all of those in chapter 29 and in chapter 30. At this point in time, Jacob makes that arrangement with Laban about the uh, livestock and he's tricking him and there's all kinds of things going. He's going to take the spotted ones and the striped ones. Pretty soon it's Jacob that has the great amount of cattle or of the sheep. And again, as they move on, now Jacob understands it's time for me to leave. And in chapter 31, he's escaping Laban, but Rachel steals some of Laban's idols to his God. Laban pursues after them. 
Finally, they come together. Laban realizes, man, this is my daughters. This is my grandchildren. I don't want to fight you guys. I don't want to kill anybody. A covenant was made. And so from then, Laban goes back. Jacob is able to continue on going back to his homeland. But he knows eventually he's going to have to meet up with his brother Esau. We see that in chapter 22. And the Lord, and here we find Jacob praying to the Lord to deliver me out of his hand. He asked one of his messengers, he says, uh, as one of his messengers came back and says, hey, I saw Esau, he's coming after you. Jacob says, well, uh, what does he have with him? And he says, man, he's coming to meet you. He's got 400 men with him. So Jacob knows he's toast at this point in time. So he divides up his company and he has another come to Jesus meeting. Uh, he starts praying, Lord, you've got to deliver me. You've got to help me. You've got to, again, deliver me, I pray. Verse 11 says, deliver me, I pray, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, lest he come attack me and the mother with the children. For you said, I will surely treat you well, make your descendants as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered. And again, the Lord comes to him and there's a wrestling match during the evening at that point in time. We see that at the end of chapter 32. And again, this is where God changes Jacob's name to Israel. For you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. Jacob is saved. We find out in chapter 33, it turns out that it's a good family reunion. Esau is over his madness. God has blessed Esau because again, God, God was working his plan out, even through the foolishness of Esau. God was working his plan, and Esau was blessed. Jacob, or Israel at this point in time, after he finds out that there's not a fight, he erects an altar there, calls again upon the name of the Lord God, the God of Israel. In chapter 34, his daughter, the only one that we know of, uh, Dinah, is violated by Shechem, the Hivite, he comes, he falls in love with her, but then he comes and he takes her. Once the family finds out about that, they're not pleased at all. So they call the Hivites together and say, look, you love my daughter or my sister. You can have her, she can be your wife, but all of your men need to be circumcised first. All of your men need to be circumcised. Then we'll make a pact with you and everything will be fine. And so all of the men, every male was circumcised all who went out of the gate of his city. Now down in verse 25 of chapter 34, it came to pass on the third day when they were all in pain that two of the sons of Jacob, Simeon and Levi, Dinah's brothers, each took a sword and came boldly upon the city, killed all the males. They killed Hamor and Shechem, his son, with the edge of the sword, took Dinah from Shechem's house and went out. The sons of Jacob came upon the slain and plundered the city because their sister had been defiled. They took all of their sheep, their oxen, their donkey, everything that was there and all of their wealth. And Jacob said, man, you have made me to be disdained or obnoxious here with the inhabitants of this area. But the brothers responded back to him in verse 31. Should he treat our sister like a harlot? One of those horrible things, one of those horrible events that took place within the life of the patriarchs. But beloved, again, God is showing us. He is protecting, he is keeping his offspring. He is keeping the direction and the family that he has. 
Finally, in chapter 35, we find that Jacob is now coming again. He comes back to Bethel. He calls for all of his family to put away their foreign gods, purify yourselves, change your garments, because the Lord is going to bless them. It's also in chapter 35 that we read about the death of Rachel and her burial. And then we move on into chapter 36. Esau and the Edomites, all of Esau's bloodline, the kings of Edom, the chiefs of Edom or Esau. Esau became the father of what are called the Edomites. They later became known as the Edomians. Herod himself was actually of that tribe of Edomians. That's why he knew something about Israel and about the history of Israel and the laws of the nation of Israel. So again, when we get to the New Testament, when he says that Herod was of the Edomites, he was a descendant of Esau. When we get to 37, we now find that the youngest son at this point in time of Israel and Rachel is young Joseph. Most all of us know the story of Joseph, the favor that Joseph gained from his father and his mother, his brother's disfavor of him, how they sold him, they planned for his destruction, and yet God covered him, God protected him. Even when they were going to slay him, they stopped, they put him in the pit, they came up with the idea, let's just go ahead and sell him. And so they sold him to traders of the area. And as they get into chapter 38, as he comes down to Egypt, Oh, I'm sorry, in 38, there's a little sideline here with Judah. I won't go into the whole thing, but Judah ends up having relations with his daughter-in-law. And from his daughter-in-law, he bears two children, Perez and Zerah. Turns out that from this incestuous relationship of Judah and Tamar, Perez actually is in the bloodline of Christ. And we see that in Matthew chapter 1. Warts and all, in all the failings of man, God continues to do his work. When you have failed utterly, completely, and totally failed, understand that God still has a place for you. There is still restoration available. There's still renewal available. And we need to understand that. Joseph goes down to Potiphar's wife. She says, come lie with me. I'm not going to lie with you. She said he did anyway. He gets thrown into prison. And while he's in prison, he befriends the baker and the butler. And between the two of them, he says, hey, when you guys get out of prison, don't forget me. And uh, in the midst of that, the baker actually is uh, beheaded by uh, Pharaoh. Uh, A little bit later in chapter 41, Pharaoh has a dream. It's about that time that the butler remembers Joseph, tells Pharaoh, hey, there's a guy in your prison that can tell dreams or that can interpret dreams, Pharaoh's dream, remember, the seven fat cows, the seven thin cows, Joseph comes out, interprets the dream that there's going to be seven great years of feast and overabundance, but it's going to be followed by seven years of famine. So you need to save from that seven years. And so from this, Pharaoh honors him and brings him up. In chapters 42 through 47, Jacob, back in the land of Canaan, sends the rest of the brothers to Egypt because Egypt is the only place that has any food for them. When they get there, they don't recognize their brother Joseph. Joseph tricks them, deceives them. A little bit later at the end of this, he finally reveals himself to his brothers. 
they finally go and get Jacob from the land of Canaan, bring him down to Egypt, and they all dwell there in the safety and in the blessing that, again, the land of Egypt has at that point in time. They gain great favor because of the status of Joseph. Everything that they had designed and purposed against Joseph, God covered him, God protected him. In Genesis 48 and 49, once Jacob comes down, sees all of his sons there, as he is dying, he gives his blessing to all of his sons. He blesses his sons, and then he dies, but he dies with the hope. Listen, when I die, take my bones back to Canaan. And that's exactly what happens. We find that Joseph gets the permission of the Pharaoh to take the bones of his father back. They actually mourn for Jacob for 70 days. Normal mourning period is 40. But again, because of Joseph's status within the whole realm of Pharaoh's court there, they mourn for him for 70 days. Jacob, his brother, and a great company of Egyptians go back to Cana, bury Jacob there along with Sarah, Abraham, and Isaac. Joseph then comforts his brothers with those words, don't be afraid because I know you're afraid. You deserve to be afraid, actually. I don't know if he said that, but what he did say is the very thing that you meant for harm. God has turned around for good. God has turned around for good. Let me ask you this in closing, church. Is God able to take the worst of situations in your life and bring it around to good? Why did I put so much time on those first 11 chapters, particularly that first chapter, creation? Because I wanted you to see, I wanted you to understand the greatness and the majesty of Almighty God. Because once we understand and once we can glean from that and hold on to that, then we can understand that when our life is totally, literally, as Joseph's was, in the pits, and then I'm sold into slavery, and then I'm imprisoned, that God can take the worst of worst things and turn it around for good. He does it not only in Joseph's life, but I believe he will do that in every one of our lives. Have you had a hard run of things in your life? Has your life been some difficult hurdles one after one after one after another? God can take those things because, beloved, here's the big headline. And it's the thing that we've seen chapter after chapter after chapter. It's not about you. I don't know about you, but I'm really glad that it's not about me. But it is all about him. He will glorify himself. All we have to do is be willing vessels. Willing vessels. He will bless us and use us when we're willing, when we're open, when we have a heart and a mind. We see these guys that have failed over and over and over and yet we also see in these guys hearts of repentance. They went back. We see where Jacob continually went back to Bethel, back to the house of God, to seek the Lord and to find the Lord's direction leading. That's not the only time we're going to go back to Bethel here in the Old Testament. Bethel becomes a place of renewal and restoration. And when we've gone and we've blown it big, beloved, we need to come back to the presence of God and allow him to redirect, refocus our lives for his glory.
Surprisingly and sadly, too many followers of Jesus are Bible illiterate. They know a few basic names or facts, but the abundance of truth and love inside this great text is getting lost. This is why Pastor David feels it's necessary to take some time to work through the Bible in this series, and we're so glad you've joined us here on The Open Word for it. Each time you tune in, Pastor David will be giving you an accurate and succinct dialogue of a book of Scripture, pointing out the key passages and truths that everyone needs to be aware of. If you missed any part of today's message or any part of this series, we encourage you to visit our website. You'll be able to listen again at theopenword.com. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast, and please feel free to share these teachings with your friends and family. Everyone can benefit from this Through the Bible series. Are you in the Casa Grande area? If so, Pastor David has an invitation to extend to you. Every message you hear on The Open Word is one that I shared here at Calvary Chapel of Casa Grande, a great church where I enjoy my role as senior pastor. I'd love to see your face next time I get up to teach, and I'd really enjoy meeting you afterward please consider coming on out and joining us this weekend. You'll be able to find all the information you need at theopenword.com. Just click the Calvary Chapel link at the bottom of the page. See you there. Thanks, Pastor David. That's all for today. But join us next time to continue through the Bible here on The Open Word.